those that are here with us this morning. So thankful and grateful for your presence. And we appreciate you being here with us. And we're grateful that you're here. And always thankful for the opportunity that we have to be able to be together to worship God in spirit and in truth. And we have a beautiful day. It might be a little rainy, but that's okay. The sun will come out eventually. But we're wonderful and glad to be here this morning. We do have visitors with us. And as always, we always want to encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you may have. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 24, where the Apostle Paul is taking this opportunity to share the gospel to Felix and Drusilla. There are many things that, about the life of the Apostle Paul that I think are very interesting. And one of them is what really stands out is the fact that Paul looks for every opportunity to share the gospel to as many as he can that are round about him. I mean, he literally stands ready to share the love story of the cross to those round about him. Before the apostle Paul was converted to Christ, you might remember the Lord had uh, appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And he talked to Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. And God on that occasion, verse 15, he had said that Paul would be one who would bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And he went on to say in verse 16, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So we know from a prophetic standpoint that the apostle Paul had actually fulfilled those words. He had the opportunity to share the gospel with a number of people. And he had many opportunities to be able to speak to individuals, some that might be lonely, some that might be from a social or economic vantage point. But on the other hand, we learn right here in this particular point that the Apostle Paul was able to share the gospel to those who were of the political dignitaries. And so here in Acts chapter 24, we find the Apostle Paul having the privilege of speaking to Felix the governor and to his wife Drusilla. Now the first thing we notice is the presentation of the gospel to Felix and Drusilla. Look at verse 24. Here we see a request that has been made by Felix. Listen to what Luke tells us. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Wouldn't it be great if everyone had a desire to be able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? I think so. Here were two individuals who desired to know more about the way that is about Jesus Christ. You and I have no control over what people do with the gospel. Our task is just simply to share it with them. Let them make that decision and how they act upon that. We have the greatest message that is known to mankind. And so we need to share it to all of mankind as well. The gospel of Christ has the power. It has the ability to liberate the souls of men and women. And what we have to do is just sow the seed of the kingdom. And we sow the seed of the kingdom. That is the promise that God's word will return to him void, will not return to him void, 
according to Isaiah 55, 11. So Paul had the opportunity to speak to Felix and Drusilla. Now Felix had knowledge about Jesus Christ. He was very much acquainted with Christianity. And Drusilla, of course, she was a Jewish. And if you look back at her pedigree, her ancestry, you will find that her father, Herod Agrippa I, had James, the brother of John, killed by the sword, according to Acts chapter 12. Her, her, her uncle, Herod Antipas, had John the Baptist beheaded, put to death in Mark chapter 6. Her great-grandfather, Herod the Great, was responsible for the babies two years of age and under in Bethlehem to be destroyed or killed in every way. And those surrounding districts, Matthew 2 in verse 16. So Drusilla was Jewish, but thus she was well acquainted with a lot of the prophets as well. And the Apostle Paul on an earlier occasion had said that he believed in all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, Acts 24, 14. And so the things that he shared with Felix and Drusilla, they would have been from the Old Testament scriptures. And so there is this request. They want to hear more about this faith in Christ. Here's something else that we notice along these lines. In verse 25, the Bible tells us that he reasoned with them. That is, that he reasoned with those that were around him in that day. Paul was preaching and teaching. In fact, he was a preaching and teaching machine, if you will. He stood ready to preach the gospel. And so Paul reasons with these people, just like he did back in Thessalonica in Acts 17. Verses 1 through 3, where the Bible tells us that he went into the synagogue of the Jews, and that was his custom. And for three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. And so when the Apostle Paul, what the Apostle Paul did is to take the Old Testament scriptures and he literally filled in the blanks. He showed them by that Jesus was the fulfillment of all those prophecies that you read about that had been prophesied by Moses and by all the other prophets as well. You go back and you look at all those prophecies in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is simply just pointing people in the direction of the New Testament, pointing towards the cross. And thus we live on this other side of cross where we look back at the cross. They look forward to, we look back at. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is simply saying that Christ is coming. And the New Testament is simply saying Christ has come. And so here is the Apostle Paul. He's reasoning with Felix and Drusilla. He's telling them that Jesus is the fulfillment of all those prophecies that's ever been recorded in the law and the prophets. What do we know about this reasoning with Felix and Drusilla? What did he say to them? Look again at verse 25. Here Luke says that he reasoned with Felix and Drusilla first about righteousness. Isn't that what it says? He reasoned with them about righteousness. Let's think about righteousness from two vantage points, if you will. First of all, from the vertical standpoint, 
And then we'll look at it from the horizontal. But when you talk to people about the Christ, when you talk to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, doesn't it stand to reason that you tell people how to become right with Almighty God? That they've been living a life that has been wrong all these years. And thus this is the right way. This is the correct way. This is the way that God wants you to know and to understand and to live by. Right? The gospel is after all God's power unto salvation. To everyone that believe it. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 1.16. And then in verse 17 Paul said for therein is the righteousness of God God revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith I think about what the apostle Paul no doubt would have spent some time in talking about the fact that Jesus is the Christ he is the son of the living God and that he died for their sins just like he died for Paul's sins he dies for our sins. And so he's telling them and reasoning them about righteousness. Now in my mind, I can see the apostle Paul going back and literally telling Felix and Drusilla that God loved them, that God loved the human family and how in that great love, he sent his only begotten son to die on that cross for their sins, the sins of the human family. Now the Bible tells us in Romans 5 and verse 8, but God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. From a personal vantage point to let these two people know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that he died for them, he died for your sins. Is that not what we are to do when we share the gospel with others? is to let them know about Christ and him crucified and what he has done for you personally? Yes. We need to let people know that. We point out to them that sin is what separates us from God, Isaiah 59 and 1 and 2. And yet through the gospel of Christ that we can be put into a right relationship with Almighty God. We talk about the love of God. We talk about the great mercy of Almighty God. When Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus in Ephesians 2 and verse 4, he says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, to know that God loves you and me, that he loves the human family, and that Paul would have this opportunity to share with these dignitaries, to show them that Christ died according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised again according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3. We're talking about having a right relationship with Almighty God. Isn't that what you want? That's what Felix and Drusilla sounded like they wanted, right? At that particular time. Don't you think it would stand to reason that the Apostle Paul would say, look, here is how you can enjoy the forgiveness of your sin. The remission of your sins. You know, Paul no doubt could look back at his life and he could view himself as the chief of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. But Paul is standing here before these two individuals that really had what we 
call a, a very wicked, corrupt, abased background. And Paul realized that the gospel was intended for people who were sick with sin. You know, Paul himself had been sick with sin in his life. And yet through his obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the apostle Paul would enjoy a good experience of the washing away of his sins. Acts twenty two sixteen. You and I today can experience that same blessing as well to know that our sins are washed away. To know that every sin has been forgiven, written, I mean, wiped away or erased off our slate. Isn't that wonderful to know that you can have that forgiveness of your sin? It is wonderful to know. To know that every sin has been forgiven. The Bible tells us about the covenant under which you and I live. In Hebrews 8 and verse 12, the Bible tells us, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and to their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. To know that whatever we have done in the past is behind us. It's gone. It's done. Paul could have told these two individuals about that, to know that they can have pardon from their sins, to reflect upon the words like Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption, that is, in Jesus we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And then I think about Paul not only talked to them about forgiveness and how to be right with God, but what about the future that they might have with God? What is the beauty of becoming a Christian? What is the beauty of obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ, of living a life that is centered around Almighty God? Well, it's the hope of heaven, isn't it? The hope of being able to be with God in Christ in that beautiful place called heaven. The Bible tells us that we have an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled, and that fate is not away, reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter 1, 4. But here were two individuals. They were well known in the Roman world. They had illustrious backgrounds, and yet Paul was saying, you know, Caesar may be on the throne, but Jesus Christ is Lord after all. He is the Lord of all. And as Lord of all, he is preparing for us a place in heaven. And those who obey the gospel and live a faithful life will be able to enjoy that place called heaven. That opportunity to go home and be with him. And so Paul reasoned with them righteousness and how to get right with God. And then from a horizontal aspect, righteousness affects how we live and how we interact with one another. Do you know what our world needs today? We just talked about it last week, didn't we? It needs Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Do you know what the Roman world needed in its day? It needed a healthy dose of righteousness. They had been doing it wrong all this time. The Roman world was corrupt. It was sinful. It was ungodly. As a matter of fact, the Christians found themselves being persecuted for the cause of believing in the Lord Jesus. And yet, what would change the Roman world? What is it that will change the world in which you and I live today? What's going to change our country? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else out there besides what the gospel can do 
for you and for me and for us altogether. Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 1.16. That means by which we turn this nation around. That is the means that would ultimately turn the Roman world around. That would be the gospel. What is it that's going to change the hearts and the lives of our people in our country today if it's not the gospel? It is the gospel that will change. It's not a social program. It's not going to be some political organization. It's going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives. That's why Solomon said that righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, Proverbs 14, 34. And so Paul has this opportunity to talk to these political dignitaries, to reason with them about righteousness and then self-control. Did you know in Galatians 5 and verse 23 that self-control, temperance, is listed as one of the characteristics that are associated with the fruit of the Spirit? What is necessary for us to live a life in check for the cause? Well, it's temperance itself, isn't it? You know, there are a lot of things that we might want to do, that we might even be at liberty to do, but we choose not to do it because why? Because we are children of God. We are Christian, New Testament Christians. You see, Felix and Drusilla, they had a wicked background. Felix and Drusilla, they were living in adultery, and so they needed to hear about self-control. Sometimes you can't have what you want. Why? Because it's not right. It's not right in the eyes of God. It's because God says no to them. Sometimes we need to hear about self-control, don't we? And how to control self. But then notice, not only did he reason with them about righteousness and self-control, temperance, but he also talked to them about the judgment to come. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says, And it is appointed unto man once to die, then cometh the judgment. I could just envision the Apostle Paul talking about forgiveness and about the future of believers with God in heaven. Why do I think the Apostle Paul talked about eternity? Why do I believe that he talked about heaven? Because he talked about the judgment, the judgment of Christ. If you talk about the judgment to come, then you have to talk about the eternal abodes that are described in Scripture as well. That is, that the righteous, they had the promise of heaven. The unrighteous, they have a promise of what is called hell or Gehenna. And so here's the Apostle Paul. He's reasoning with these dignitaries that there is a judgment to come. We live in a day and a time when many people dismiss this idea of a judgment day. We understand our court system that is operated in our country. It may not be perfect, but it is a good system. Sometimes there are those who are guilty, but they're set free. Sometimes the innocent, they receive the guilty verdict. Sometimes mistakes happen. But I can promise you one thing. On the day of judgment, the judgment of Christ, there will not be any innocent 
with the guilty verdict. There will not be any guilty with the innocent verdict. All will be done in the correct way by the very correct judge, and that is Jesus the Christ. The Bible says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, 2 Corinthians 5.10. That is, one day you and I <coughs> will stand before the throne of Almighty God. The Bible tells us in John 5 and verse 27 that God has committed judgment into the hands of his dear son. Paul would say in Romans 14, 10, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That is that we will stand before the Lord and we will give an account. How is our life in comparison to the will of God? That is the Bible under the law under which we live. That is the New Testament law for us today. How does our life in comparison to this, how does it compare? Whether good or bad, we will be judged accordingly. That means what we have said, what we have done, where we have been, how we have reacted, how we have treated other people, all of those things will be taken into account on that day of judgment. Paul talked about those things. He first talked about the presentation of the gospel to Felix and Drusilla. But notice now the procrastination of the gospel by Felix and Drusilla. Look at verse 25. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for three for thee. Three things here. Number one, he was distressed. The Bible says he trembled. He was afraid. Why do you think he was afraid? Here's why Felix trembled and why he was afraid. You see, when we as people stand back and reflect upon eternity in recognition to their hearts and lives that we are not right with the Almighty God, it will result in our fear. Fear of that judgment to come. In Hebrews 10 and verse 31, the Bible says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In essence, he's saying it's a fearful thing beyond belief to die unprepared to meet Almighty God. Oh, you may laugh it off now. You may laugh about it. You may dismiss it. You may use it as a punchline or maybe as a joke when talking about the judgment. But the reality is that when people of intelligence step back and think about what the scripture says about the judgment to come, recognizing that their lives are not right before God, it will, be, it will bring distress. It will bring fear. And it ought to bring fear. After all, you're standing before Almighty God. You're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. You're standing before your Creator. And if you're not right, you ought to fear. You're going to be standing before the great I Am to give an account of your life to the Son of God. You ought to fear. 
And so first there is distress, but then number two, there is deferment. That is, they defer from doing anything. The Bible says that their response was, go thy way for this time. For when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Scripture never tells us as to whether or not a convenient time ever arose for Drusilla and Felix. I would hope and pray that at some point in time that they responded to the gospel. But the truth of the matter is, I just don't know. I don't know that anybody living knows it, but they defer it. It may be the case that you're here today and for a long time you've been thinking about obeying the gospel or rededicating your life back to that first love. Maybe on many occasions you have thought, today's the day. And then the day comes. And for whatever reason, you defer it. You defer again. That's what they did. But you need to remember this. You can wait too long. Here's the third thing we noticed, and that is the danger. The dangerous situation that Felix and Drusilla put themselves in. Do you know that when people say no to the gospel, there's always the danger of plunging deeper into a life of sin? Because they're going to go back to their old ways. They have not changed. They're going to go deeper and deeper into the life of sin. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Think about this. When people choose to live a life outside the realm of God and His Word, when people say Christianity is not for me or that the Word of God is not for me, I'm not going to live my life for the Son of God. I'm going to do what I want to do. Listen, when you evaluate your lives in light of what the Word of God said, what is it that you see? You'll see a life spiraling out of control. Typically, you see people who are getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the muck and the mire of sin. That's what happens. The longer people stay that way, the more difficult it is it becomes to extract themselves out of that mire, out of that lifestyle. Oh, it happens every day. Please don't think that you are the exception because I haven't met the exception yet. Number two, there is the pain and the difficulties that are associated with living in sin. I, I promise you that there are people all over this globe today who are suffering physically. They're suffering mentally, materially, and most of all, spiritually. Yes, all because of bad choices in this life. They've said no to the gospel. They had said no to Christianity. They had said no to the Word of God. And now they're paying a price, a heavy price for that. Here's what Solomon said. The way of the transgressor, Proverbs 13, 15. 
Oh, you may choose to live a life of sin and in so doing you need to understand it's a tough life. It's going to be hard. You've just launched out into a life that can bring nothing but heartache and shame and guilt, anxiety. The list just goes on and on. It's a terrible way to live. But here's what the Apostle Paul said. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Galatians 6, 7 and 8. The choice is yours. Here's the third very real danger. This is one you really need to think about. And it's the possibility of dying in sin. The possibility of dying in sin. Have you ever thought about that? We have talked about the possibility of plunging deeper into the, uh, a life of sin. What the pain and the difficulties that are associated with living in sin. But what about the possibility of dying in sin? Here's what Jesus said. I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. John 8, 21. Please listen very carefully. You cannot afford to die in your sins. You cannot afford it. You cannot afford to die without Jesus Christ in your life. That's just a fact. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life eternal through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23 Why would anyone flirt with wanting to die outside of Christ? I don't know. I can't understand it. Why would anybody jeopardize his or her eternal soul? I don't know. But people do it every day. I'm not a gambler. I don't want to gamble. I have no desire to gamble. But there are people who are gamblers and they have in their mind that they can beat the odds. Let me tell you something. You're not going to beat the odds. Because ultimately one day you will give an answer. You will die. There are many people in eternity as we speak. Some of those folks, there are lost. They will be lost forever. They didn't know the gospel, and that's a shame. That might be my fault that they don't know the gospel. It might be your fault that they didn't know the gospel. And thus we will be judged accordingly as well. But I think about people who are in eternity as we speak who knew the gospel. Like Felix and Drusilla. They had the opportunity to hear the gospel. They had the opportunity to know that Jesus Christ had died for their sins. But they said no, they said no, they said no, no, no. Now they will be in eternity separated from Almighty God and His Son Jesus the Christ. All because they died in sin because we don't know anything different. Many bad things can happen to you in this life, but I promise you the worst thing that could ever happen this side of eternity is to die 
in your sins. Let that go over and over into your mind. Repeat it over and over again. Because if you die in your sins, you don't have a prayer. Can we plead with you today to come to Christ? I preached a funeral yesterday. And standing right here, I said that if that person was able to come back and tell us what it was like on the other side of eternity, what would they say? I would grant you, knowing what I read in the scriptures, that they would say, you better be prepared. Because what's on that side of eternity, you might not want a part of that. You might not want to go where many have gone. You don't want to die in your sins. And so... Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Let that sink in wholeheartedly. And if you're not a Christian today, can we encourage you to do so this very morning? If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you're willing to make a change in your life called repentance, If you're willing to let it be known that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, before these many witnesses, I will assist you in your baptism where you die to sin, buried in that watery grave, to rise to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 3, and 4. A New Testament Christian, a new creature, a new person, a new Charles. You just put your name in that blank right there. I knew you. Through thus then live faithfully to the cause of Christ so that heaven will be your home. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody was able to come back and tell us that? Well, let me tell you, there was one person who came back from the grave who told us that. Jesus the Christ He rose from that grave never to die anymore. And he told us about the judgment to come and that we need to be prepared. Are you prepared? We're about to sing a song of encouragement, number 17. Almost thou persuade us. Have I been able to persuade you? I want to see the front pews full of those who are ready to put the Lord on in baptism based upon your belief that Jesus is the Christ, repentance of your sins, and your good confession. I want to see these front pews full of those who want to be reconciled back right with God. Am I reasoning with you about righteousness? If I am, then you will make things right because tomorrow may be too late. Won't you come as together we stand?